We're going to finish our study of the Apostles' Creed this week and next. I think Fred has next week. We're going to be covering the last of the two I believe statements. I believe in the resurrection of the body and I believe in life everlasting. Really, these two go hand in hand. But today we cover the resurrection of the body. Because without the resurrection of the body, there is no life everlasting. Our scripture today is based, as we just read, from 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 21. I think that is the most appropriate passage for this particular statement in our faith, belief, in our Apostles' Creed. For each of us as Christians, without this particular event taking place, hope in our future would be arguably worthless. Without this one event taking place for the salvation of any and all who will accept these terms and believe upon them, first, as we've said many times before, there'd be no real reason for us to be here this morning. We could be sitting at home watching political shows as if we have not had enough of those. Yet if you look at our scripture reading for this morning, you're going to find that this particular subject has been a point of contention For nearly 2,000 years. Looking at when that passage was written, there probably was some confusion about the resurrection of the body. For the most part, some of the people of that time, mostly of the Jewish faith, concerned themselves, if they did so at all, with a spiritual resurrection at some point in time after death. It was a rather bland concept, to be very honest. No one really knew what that was going to look like or when it would happen or anything like that. They believed in it, but they really didn't know a whole lot about it. Paul writes to these folks to help clarify that thinking. Our reading this morning, Paul says, We preach Christ's resurrection from the dead, and yet some of you all say he wasn't raised from the dead. How can you do that? If it didn't happen, why am I wasting my time? More than that, Paul continues, I would be a false witness about God. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, our faith is futile and we are still full of sin and worse yet, we are still lost. Even worse, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, where are those who believed that he was? I don't even want to think about it, Paul might have said to himself. Today, as believers in Christ, as those who adhere to the principles of the Apostles' Creed, we end the Creed with hope. Hope in the future of these last two statements. I mean, what if we had hope in Christ, in the resurrection of the body, but all of this wasn't true? We ought to be pitied, Paul says. But He says, we believe he was raised from the dead. Maybe he would have wanted to add here, and we pity those who don't believe. And there are a whole bunch of you for who don't, for whatever reason, you do not believe. That's just the problem that Paul had with the church in Corinth. If you didn't see Jesus walking around after having him, seen him crucified, there's going to be doubt concerning the resurrection. Look at Thomas in John 20. This is a perfect example. 
I'm not going to believe that he has risen from the dead until I can see him, until I can feel those places in his hands, until I can feel the place in his side. And you remember what he said after Jesus said, come here, touch him. He confessed, my Lord and my God. But not until he saw that Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. Resurrection of the body for you and me, had that not taken place, would have been out of the question. Many couldn't explain this miraculous event. So what do they do? Rather than try to explain it, they try to explain it away. A lot of secular beliefs or world religions did exactly that. Still do. Simply look at many of those world religions today. Many have no problem with the prophet Jesus Christ, okay? Great teacher, great prophet. They try to minimize him into making him just human, but that's part of the problem. Previously, we have looked, but that was about all there was to it. Previously, we looked at every aspect concerning Christ's life, his, his death and burial and what all that meant to us. Well, all of what's been said pretty well leads up to our beliefs we say today. For it's because Jesus went through everything that he did that we can say these words in the Apostles' Creed and we can mean them. Our future lies in hope. It shares in the hope that we all someday will be where Jesus is now. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about John 14, 1 through 3. Well, John 14, 2 and 3 this morning says, uh, says that He is going to prepare a place for us and then will return to take us to be with Him in eternity. That, folks, is our hope. We know, we believe that it's through our faith that we are saved. It's through the faith that we are, as we see in Romans 8, 16, we are adopted into the family of God. We're told that Jesus received suffering while upon this earth as God's son. Well, look at Romans 8, 17. It tells us that because we are God's children, even while still upon this earth, we too will suffer as his children. And like Christ, who received glory when he returned home, we too will be glorified on that day that we enter into that heavenly abode. Y'all can say amen anytime you want to here, okay? We're, we're Presbyterians, but we can talk, okay? What Jesus obtained through this obedience will one day be ours as well. In other words, resurrection and eternal life will be ours at some point in time. By focusing on Jesus and his resurrection, we are in essence pointing to our own resurrection someday. Again, Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, that if we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we're to be pitied. If Fred, Brett, Kirk, and I preached about living this life alone, we all are barking up the wrong tree and we are misleading you. Living this life is important, don't get me wrong. But living for Christ now to view our future life after this one, this is where we should place our focus. In other words, we must look beyond this life to see the true rewards that we will be able to share with Christ someday. 
We must live this life with a hope in a time when we will no longer be here upon this earth. But in a day that will never end. There will be no darkness. As Revelation 21.4 says, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Can you imagine that? That's, That's a good one in and of itself. No more pain. No more failing body. Think about that. You young people don't know what that's about. Us a little bit longer in the tooth, I think we understand that a little bit more. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. Why? Because the old stuff, things of this life, of this earth that we know, of this mortal coil that we understand, will have been washed away. We will be starting afresh and anew in heaven in Jesus. Why? Because of the first step in this two-step process. Because we believe in the resurrection of the body. But I'm, I'm getting ready to step on Fred's message for next week, so I'll, I'll stop it right there. There's this little wall that I can go to. If you have an opportunity at some point in time, look at Acts 17. But uh, Acts 17, verse 16 and on, tells of Paul's excursion into Athens, Greece, and what he, uh, what he opposes concerning man's religions and the one true God. You see, at that time when Paul was in Athens and all, there was a single altar that he had come across that was unnamed, while there were literally hundreds of altars that had specific man-made God's name that they could pay homage to at those places in in Athens alone. In Rome, they had 1,500 different altars like that. So you can just imagine how many there were here in Athens, Greece. None, though, had a God that could do what the true and the living God did for the world. Some believed after Paul preached this too. Again, read Acts 17 and you'll see the story here. Many did not. But you see, a lot of them, though they were interested, they got tripped up when they found out in verses 31 and 32 of Acts 17 about the resurrection of the dead, as it states in the NIV. For you see, while many of man's religions perhaps boasted of the legend of their gods having done things like this, there was no visible proof that their gods had ever done anything at all. The stories sounded good. They could even be made to sound almost believable. But no one had ever seen any event take place. As a matter of fact, they they really had no physical evidence at all of their gods having done anything appreciable when and if they ever walked the earth. But they couldn't see something outrageous as a man being brought back from the dead. So they couldn't believe. They couldn't believe in the supernatural. It was easier to explain how a once dead body stayed that way once and for all. It's safer to believe and certainly easier to be able to comprehend. Even though it was documented and it was witnessed by many of how Jesus brought several people back from the dead. First one that comes to my mind is always Lazarus. But if you look at what happened after that, look at John 12, verse 10. The Jewish leaders of that day tried to kill Lazarus. Why? Because he was news. 
And because people were seeing what Jesus had done, and more people were leaving the Jewish faith and going to Christianity. But then, after a point in time, Jesus was gone. And many, if not most, somehow could not justify His return from the dead anymore. They couldn't continue to believe in the power of God. Power enough to raise His Son from the dead. They wouldn't or they couldn't continue to perhaps even initially believe in Jesus' resurrection nor in His divinity. It was almost like once He was gone from their sight, He was gone from their mind. Continuing to look at our reading for today, I go back to what Paul in essence is saying, that those who should be pitied are those who believe that after this life there is nothing. It's all about the here and now. There was a secular song many, many years ago. I think Peggy Lee did it. And the song was, is that all there is? you, You may remember that. It was a good song. But as a Christian, we can say emphatically, no, that's not all there is. Now, living like that, we can certainly say if you live for the world, then no, there is something far worse awaiting you. Yet while we're alive, while we have that opportunity to understand and believe and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it does not have to end that way. That's what you and I should be saying to the world when we say that we believe in the resurrection of the body. We'll we'll not be some disembodied spirit going to the land of the spiritual world like some might want to believe. We are, however, going to be changed. What that looks like? Beyond my pay scale. I couldn't tell you. We will be changed, though. You understand that? Look a little further, 1 Corinthians 15 again. 42 through 44. Those who are resurrected from the dead... Well, we know that when we die, that body will be, as Paul says, sown perishable, planted in the ground, we might say. But it'll be raised imperishable, never to spoil, never to go away, never to have anything wrong with it ever, ever again. It'll be raised in glory. If you go to verse 49, you see that before... We look like the earthly person, as Jesus did while he was here on earth. But in that day, when we shall see Jesus, we will bear the likeness of that man from heaven, Jesus. What all that looks like, I I have no clue. I am looking forward to it, though. Hopefully, mine will be a little bit of an improvement when I get there, you know. But I ask you this, does it really matter? No, it won't matter. We'll be in heaven. That's all that matters. And that, brothers and sisters, is another thing that separates us from the world. From those who absolutely refuse to believe that it could ever happen. That a resurrection could ever take place. To those who try to reason it away. To those whose gods or whatever gods they believe in. They don't have the power or the hope of the resurrection. Those gods do other things. And I'm sure we've all run across them. They work in other mysterious ways. They make us feel better. They they encourage us to live better lives. To think better thoughts. To smile more. To think more deeply within ourselves to find our true happiness. 
They maybe want you to believe that the more good works you do, you'll return to this earth in a, in a, in a better place than when you left it. You, you, you won't need to believe in a resurrection. You'll keep coming back, recycled, okay? You come back maybe if you do real good, you come back as a movie star or a president. Why a president? I don't know anymore. Or, or, or some great thinker of that generation. But look out if you live a worse life. You'll be reincarnated as an ant or a skunk or, or something like that. Maybe, maybe they have the belief that we're all the center of the universe. Maybe it's the I'm okay, you're okay mentality. If you don't think it's wrong, it ain't wrong mentality. A lot of folks subscribe to these things today. Many, many believe, maybe many believe that they are our own, we're our own gods. But you know the one thing that they don't believe out of all of these other things that they do? That Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by his Father, the one and only eternal God, the Father and creator of us all. And that he was raised from the dead so that we, whoever believes in him, could be victorious over sin, death, and evil. And furthermore, that we will be raised from the dead on that last great day ourselves. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 tells us what we need to know, that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We know that is resurrection, okay? And the plain, simple truth of the matter is that if you do not believe in that statement, you have no faith or you have no hope in God's word. And if you don't, you have no hope in the future. As we said earlier, our faith is based on hope. Hope in what the future holds for us eternally. Hope in what heaven is going to be like. Hope in Christ's return to earth to take us home to be with Him forever. Hope in the resurrection of our bodies. It is from this hope that our witness should grow. Of course, we want to tell the simple story of what Jesus did for us when we become a child of God. We, last Sunday night in our, our Bible, Bible study, C.S. Lewis study with Kirk, Kirk made a great point. We don't have to go into all of these extravagant things that C.S. Lewis does. Just know the simple basics. That's how you want to reach the lost. You don't want to try to blind them with all the stuff that, that C.S. Lewis or, and others were to be able to, to use in their explanation. Most people wouldn't understand that. You talk to basics. You give your story. It's the best one you know. Use it to your advantage. Use it to the advantage of God. We want to tell how, how Christ is with us through the Holy Spirit and all that we do day to day. But what do we tell others about tomorrow? What do we tell others what Jesus will do in the days ahead for us? That's where we tell people of, hope, of the hope that we have in that eternal home made for us, not made with hands. Why? Because of the resurrection of the body. If you look at the word hope, we can take it in a number of ways. <laughs> when I read, or when I wrote this, we hadn't lost three games in a row and given up 159 points in those three games. But one of them was, I hope the Gamecocks can win. <laughs> That's a good one. 
I hope it doesn't rain. You know, there's one for you. I hope the stupid virus goes away. There are some things, though, that can be hoped for with some certainty. Some are more like, I hope it doesn't rain, but it sure looks like it's going to. I hope this virus goes away soon, but I'm not sure it's going to, though. I have to ask, is is things like that really hope? All kinds of ways we can use the term hope. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Could you do it? Could you give someone else who asked you that question what your hope is? Look as an answer that could be yours. 1 Timothy 4, 9 and 10. I'll give you a little cheat sheet here. Paul writes to us right here. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, you can take this statement to the bank. That we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially for those who believe. You may not be able to eloquently explain your hope. But you know where it is. You know who it's in. And you know what it's going to do for you in the days ahead. It's this hope that will get you through the good and the bad times now and in the days ahead. Our hope is to be in a place where body and soul unite. But in a perfect world. With a perfect body. Serving and worshiping Christ forever. The world's going to dish out a lot of bad stuff. But we can take hope, not in this world, but in the world to come. Our hope comes in the form of the resurrection of the body. Furthermore, he tells us that if indeed it was the case, and we do not believe in the resurrection of Christ, there is no salvation worth receiving. Think about that. If all of this doesn't exist, there is no salvation worth receiving. We're not going to be saved by the dead corpse of of an ordinary man, okay? That's what Paul is telling us here today. There is hope in the resurrection of the body, in the one who was raised from the dead for you and for me. Only one who is alive today as much as today as he was 2,000 years ago, as much as before time and creation was ever made. Paul liked the word justification. We we see it a lot in in many of his letters. He used the word reconciled in the Corinthians letters. It, It means we are completely and utterly accepted by God when we accept the thinking that Jesus was resurrected from the dead for our transgressions. We're declared innocent of all our charges because he died and was raised from the dead for us. Our punishment was taken care of by Jesus when he hung on the cross. His resurrection gives us victory over death. The sacrifice has been made. The empty tomb that we celebrate tells us that the ransom for our sins, the sacrifice on, for, uh, for our transgressions, The punishment for our iniquities have all been accepted by God on our behalf. Bottom line, Jesus died so we wouldn't have to. Hebrews 9.27 says we're all appointed once to die and then the judgment. When we come to that day, will you believe that Jesus truly did die for you 
and that he was raised from the dead? Would you believe in the resurrection of the body? Or would you die with no hope? Because we just could not make ourselves come to the understanding that God loved you so much that he gave his only son just for you. I pray you consider your options. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we thank you again for a simple statement. We believe in the resurrection of the body and what that entails. Just how important those words are to us. We ask you today, may we reevaluate our lives. May we do that daily. Uh, Help us to stay focused on you. To stay focused on what your son did for us. But the love that you gave us through your son. So that we might be able to tell the simple message of the good news. Of the gospel and of the resurrection of the body. Would you bless us to that end? We ask you in Jesus name. Amen.